Kevin Williamson had this script called Scary Movie. He wrote it in three days. Big horror movie fan growing up. Got his agent to submit it to the studios, and there was a bidding war. Every studio wanted it. And finally, Dimension Merrimax, home of the, the Weinsteins, they were the, the rightful winners in the bid. And then the next step was to convince whoremaster Wes Craven to come on board, which Wes Craven wanted to get out of horror, actually. But, you know, once you're in, you're in. I mean, you see all the actors in horror, Tony Todd, Robert Englund. Once you're John in, Saxon. Once you're a genre person and they love you, you know. You're stuck. You can't go do romantic comedies, Wes. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. So, so actually, though, what got him on board, though, is that he saw that Drew Barrymore was interested and that was like, whoa, this is actually could be a big movie. Drew Barrymore was a relatively big star at the time. So her being interested, she signed on, actually, to play Sidney Prescott initially. Hmm. But somewhere in pre-production, she had the idea or she got too busy, and she brought the idea of like, hey, if I play this opening person, we can shock the shit out of the audience. Nobody will see that coming. You can put me on the poster still, which is on the damn poster. You think this movie stars Drew Barrymore. So I mean, it does. She has the most iconic scene, <laughs> but it was her idea to, you know, get gutted like a fish in the first 10 minutes. Which is also funny because that same role gets thrown in in every single screen movie where the where a well-known actor or actress gets killed, except for three. Well, she turned it basically into a cliche. Now it's like it's like stunt casting. Now you hire the big star to be the surprise kill early on. And it's like kind of it's kind of lame now, but putting on my 1996 goggles back then. Yeah, it was like, it was like, yeah, we're going to see a Drew. You're, you're walking the theater saying, I'm going to see a Drew Barrymore movie based on the previews and the trailers. And she's on the poster when you're walking the movie theater. And then the 10 minutes in, you're like, hey, that's not her like gutted down the tree, right? Because she's a star. <laughs> that was a shock. So anyways, but that this is all the pre-production. And then the movie went to production and they didn't have a mask. They found the mask. They didn't know who actually made the mask initially. So even during filming, they hadn't really signed a deal yet with the company, a little small costume shop that actually made the mask, who probably makes a lot of money now, basically, from that. But eventually they signed off for that. And then, just box office-wise, the movie, it made like $6 million in its opening weekend. And all everything was, everybody was saying, movie's dead in the water. It's a bomb, right? Opened up December 20th. So they boldly tried to open up around Christmas time, because the idea was, you know, everybody's in a Christmas mood, but for teens who like horror... They need something. Scream is one of the best examples ever of word of mouth because even though it opened at six million, slowly every single week, it stayed in theaters for eight months. Think about how difficult that's to be to make 150 million off a six million opening weekend. That means every single week you got to do better than your opening weekend did. So big hit movie. And the key thing about this movie is that it basically saved the horror genre because around 1996, studios were not investing money in horror movies. Well, more or less the slasher genre, especially. The, if you look at, uh, I think I looked up one time, like the, this came out in 96, right? The highest grossing horror movie of 95, I think it was something that made like 17 million at the box office. Like the horror genre was dead. The new Halloween movie, uh, Curse of Michael Myers at the time, was planned as a home video release. Hellraiser was going home video. The horror genre was just not profitable at this time. Because Curse of Michael Myers sucked. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> well, basically the slasher genre was pretty much dead in the water. But just horror in general, Wes Craven's New Nightmare was in 1994, two years before this. That bombed at the box office. Which is weird, because it's a good one. Yeah, but it's where, I, it's where it was. Like, Jason Goes to Hell in 93 bombed. Just like nobody was 
doing horror like or as the audience had moved on from it so you needed something new basically and this pretty much as we know as we review this started the late slasher craze of the 90s which produced i know what you did last summer urban legend faculty sort of that's like um, faculty was more of a there's so many other ripoffs of scream late 90s it was the exact same thing that happened back when when halloween and friday 13th came out and then the 80s you had a whole bunch of slashers that's like five six years it was that way again in the 90s until ghost gothic japanese style horror took over with like the grudge and the others and haunted house movies came back in style and since then slasher movies have again pretty much been dead in the water back when i was growing up i was thankful for all the slasher movies i got while i was in school because of scream so as of now it's the second highest grossing slasher film of all time unseated that damn 2018 halloween movie that came out the new one are you fucking kidding me somehow that's the highest grossing slasher movie of all time in history that piece of shit holds the throne the only good thing about that piece of shit is jamie lee curtis is still a good actress yeah so unfortunately halloween 2018 is the number one slasher right now Maybe Scream 5 can come out and take it back, but I don't know. Let's jump into the opening scene. Where Drew Barrymore is popping popcorn. Popping popcorn. Now, nothing says 90s like home videos and popping popcorn and... A random phone call. And a random cordless phone. Not on her cell phone, on her cordless phone. From a mysterious voice played by Roger Jackson, who I have to say has probably the most awesome phone voice in horror history by far. Lance and Rickson. What about the, uh, remember the, the weird voice in Black Christmas? The original one? Oh, uh, yeah. It was like just weird and like was kind of uh, all over the place. Mm-hmm. Opening scene, let's say this. What I find odd is that they're talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and Wes Craven disses his own movie. First, she's like, the first one's good, but the rest of them suck. What about Wes Craven's Nightmare? <laughs> that one sucked. What about part three? Okay, that one was good, but... New then, Nightmare! New Nightmare was here's good! Here's the real question. Does Wes Craven really put himself in that since he, since most of his script got rewritten in the first place? No, I agree, right? I <laughs> I guess the only way you can really logically approach that is, what about Wes Craven's Nightmare? It was two years before this. That's one of the sequels. And it bombed, so, yeah, there, everybody, so everybody, the joke still applies. No, everybody acknowledges it's a great movie, though. Now? She, look, if you want to get... This movie's going to be very meta. If you want to get super meta... She should have been like, well, they all suck except that recent new nightmare. Then, you know what you do? In the moment, you increase your video sales for new nightmare. It just came out two years ago. Now new nightmare becomes a big hit. Everybody goes and watches that who saw Scream. Instead, when they went to, the, when they went to return their Scream home video, they saw it on the shelf next to new nightmare. They're like, oh, that's one of the sequels that Drew Barrymore said sucked. Even Wes Craven said it sucked. It's just killing the box office. The home video rental market for New Nightmare. I'm just saying that's, well, that's pet peeve. But. Okay, well, you oh. know, this guy on the phone wants to play a game. Play a game, and he wants to play a little fun trivia game. Yep. Who is the killer of the Halloween series? Michael Myers. Correct. You you, you win a Cupid doll. Well, beautiful. Thank you. So. Okay, now for the real question. Wait a minute. I thought that was pretty cruel. Now for the real question. Yep, now for that's the bullshit. real question. Because the Halloween one... Obviously being the easiest answer to give, unless he was talking about Season of the Witch, which he did, he wasn't. He said series. That would have that would have went over the top for even the audience. Yeah. These are horror fans watching the movie, but even they would be like, oh, part what? three. Yeah. yeah. That's so too meta. 
Obviously, so we forgot to mention that the stakes for this is if she gets it wrong, Steve dies. Now, I just want to ask you right now, so we're going to do a lot of theorizing here. Are you on board with my thought that both of the killers are present at the house? And this one, yes. Because it, the way things are going to shake out, it's physically impossible for one person to do all that's going on right now. To be honest with you, with the speed they kill Steve with, it's impossible for even two people to pull this off. Well, so, okay, so to theorize, basically, I'm gonna assume, and this is the easy assumption, that one person's talking on the phone while the other person is doing the legwork, the physical right. work. And they're positioned around the house in a way where they still can occasionally communicate with each other. Mm. Like, run around the side, like, hey! And they're both looking through the windows, and they can see her. So one of them is giving the other one's updates. But yeah, okay, initially, she turns on the patio, she checks the patio, nobody's there, right? Within, what, a minute or two later, when he's like, turn the patio light back on again. Now motherfucking Steve is there tied to a chair, and Steve's not a small guy, he looks like a pretty big guy. Yeah, which means so these two must So two of these mofos had to come place him right. right there, right? Tied up, and now one of them also has to stay close to him to eventually kill him. Right. But while this is happening, the killer rings the doorbell in the front. She walk, comes to the front. He's clearly there because he hears... She's like, who is it? He hears her say it because on the phone call, he's like, you should never say who's there. So, okay, so someone's with Steve in the back while someone's here at the front, basically. I, I agree with someone said online, which I agree with. Probably Billy's doing the phone calls because... As we'll see, I don't think Billy trusts Stu. And Billy's the smarter person. Yeah. So, I don't know. But now here's the real question. Who is the killer of Friday the 13th? Jason! Jason! Wrong! You're wrong. I saw that movie 13, 15 times. If you saw that movie 13 times, then you should know it was Jason's mother, Mrs. Voorhees, who did the killing, not Jason. He didn't come till the sequel. Ah, shit. I was going to break up with Steve anyways. <laughs> you better have because... In, I, I, I'm good, though, right? This means Steve is gone, but I'm still alive. In, like, I'm two still in the game, right? seconds, two seconds it takes her to get up and turn the light on, Steve has been eviscerated. Now, now let's talk about the logistics of how this, hap how this is happening. How is he being gutted right now? Because they show him in the... They show his front side, right? Right. Where's Ghostface? Where's Ghostface? He's behind him, I guess. And right? this is supposed to be a normal human being. Is he, Maybe what, that's how Stu survived. What kind of drilling weapon, like machine? Because him and his knife. Well, it's a pretty big not, knife. Yeah, but making the guts fall. He's stabbing him from the back and making guts fall out from the front. No, what I think it is, I think what it's supposed to be is he comes up, slices him completely in front, and all the guts come out. Because when she turns the lights on, he's already gutted. You don't actually oh, okay. see. Okay. See, I always that's thought. I, I always thought that while she's looking, something's happening to him while she's watching. No. But you're thinking he did something and then she turned the he light disappeared on. again. Yeah. He's, he's, he's running to the woods basically right there and hiding behind a tree problem. So this is how, this is actually, I just thought of this. Stu's immortal. Stu's immortal. Stu that, is some kind of that monster. That explains a lot. Stu is some kind of monster. Because how the fuck can someone, in two seconds time of her getting the wrong answer, turning around, turning the lights on, eviscerates someone and pulls his guts out. His guts ain't just gonna fall out with the way he's sitting, he pulls it out. All right, well listen, he tricked her with the Friday 30th question. That's a hard question. It's not. It's not a hard, if you're in a very- He didn't really trick her either. She just did not 
understand the question. No, it's the devil's in the details because if someone just says Friday the 13th, the first image pop in your brain is probably Jason Voorhees. But he's clearly talking about the first Friday the 13th, which you'd have to be really like in the moment, be like, okay, calm down, Mrs. Voorhees. She's like, Jason, Jason! She didn't think about it. She just went with the first answer. So, and that was the wrong answer. Well, are you ready for this next question? It's a real doozy. Which door am I at? And this is why this is bullshit. <laughs> because we've established there's one in the front and there's one in the back. Well, now, then technically she's not going to get the answer wrong. Here's what I don't understand. <laughs> this whole time, now, she tells the killer initially, she's like, I'm calling the cops. And he's like, they never get here in time. So she's just like... Did it say they or did he say they'll, as in more of a pre- present tense instead of a future tense? No, he, he says he says they would never make it in time. I okay, believe. so more future tense, so he knew. We're out, we're out in the middle of nowhere. My thing is, she completely abandons the idea of calling the cops. I know that he's telling you that, and he's clearly there. But why give up that idea? Just very quickly, make a quick call. Yes, you're probably going to die, but at least they can't. They got to make their move quick then. And also, by the way, she's in a big-ass house, right? She's, like, like cowering by the TV, right? Plant yourself in the kitchen with a butcher's knife in the corner... Call the cops. Make them come to you. You do realize that there's two entrances into that kitchen. I know, but at this point, she doesn't know that, though. If she was she doesn't know. So, from her knowledge, she doesn't know there's two killers. She doesn't know which door they're at. She knows that her once her boyfriend is killed, that's the sign of, okay, this is real. This is not a prank. This is some shit, and they're going to kill me because they killed him. They have to kill me. I'm going... I'm. I'm, uh, maybe they're watching or maybe they're not, but he needs, she needs to run to the kitchen right now and get the damn knife. She well, waits till the damn, the door comes to the back thing. Well, you know what she should have done? She should have been like those big breasted bimbos and run upstairs. Yeah. She could have done what Nev Campbell does, uh, what Sydney does later in the movie, but okay. After saying it. All right. So when, when, the, when Ghostface breaks the door down, right? She then finally takes Vic's advice, runs the, runs the kitchen and gets the knife, right? She's chilling. Ghostface runs in the hallway past her, right? So th- when I first watched the movie, I didn't pick up all this stuff. Just reading online, looking at stuff, basically, started to put together, like, fans of this movie have, like, obsessively figured out, like, everything that's happening here, basically, to a level that I'd never even thought of. And the idea here is that what he's doing, Ghostface is running to the front door to open the front door for the other Ghostface, the other killer. That's why he's not, like, walking around looking. He's making a mad dash to the front door to, to let in... I'm assuming it's Stu run, ran in. He's going to let in Billy. She goes to the back, basically. Uh, she sees Ghostface in the kitchen looking around. Here's what I understand. The first big jump scare is her looking up, and Ghostface turns around and sees her. And jumps and attacks her through the window. How the hell does he turn around and see her like that? Because he felt like it. From his peripheral, that makes no sense. He turns her like as if he's doing a jump scare. That makes no sense. And then he headbutts the window. <laughs> He's wearing a Halloween mask, not a damn armor. <laughs> he broke the window with his fat, with his head. Well, he's a horror villain, horror movie villain. He knows he's not going to get hurt unless he actually gets his head cut off. Okay. Lucky for her, mom and dad, or mom and stepdad, or... Either way, mom pulling, and dad. Pulling in. And instead of running to them, she takes a moment to look at them and say, Oh, thank goodness. 
They're home. I'm good. And then for Ghostface, ten seconds she stands there. And then Ghostface crushes her larynx. I'm guessing because it's the same thing that Michael Myers does in H2O for the, against that cop. You know, crushes yeah. the larynx so they can't talk. Because notice how when she gets back up and tries to say something, her voice is completely shattered. She did a good job of she she holds on to the cell the phone, like she won't let go of the phone. Which Even though she did. Eventually she did, but the whole time she's being drugged. That's how her parents can hear her sound effects because you can hear her be like, ah, because... As he's gutting her like a fish. Mmm, intestines. He actually stuck to his word. Now, now, to support that there earlier that Ghostface ran and opened the front door to let in Ghostface, when the parents come home, they come to a wide open front door. Mm-hmm. Literally, that just shows Ghostface came in and ran and opened the front door because they walk into a house where the, the front door is wide open. The smoke detectors are going off. Smoke's around. Because the popcorn's melting. But, again, to support the idea that, well, I think Snoo, he's not supernatural. His last name is actually probably Jarvis. This is another Tommy Jarvis shit. How the hell in two minutes do they get her hung up on the tree like that? Because that is not a one-man job. That is not a one-man job. Because Stu is supernatural. No. I seriously think I, at this if, point if, Stu is death. When they see the mom there, fuck Tony Todd at this point. Stu is death himself. When they see the mom and the guy pull up, I don't think they're still taking the risk of actually being out there. Be like, all right, let's get her up on the tree. Yeah, grab one, two, three, get her. Like, that seems like a lot when the they're right there and your cover's about to be blown. So, but. Somehow they get her ass on the tree and... Uh, because Stu is death. Stu is I mean, a, at the very least, the rest of this movie is more logical. This, this is, is the only scene that's illogical, in my opinion. It's illogical, but it at least works a little bit with the idea that it's two people. As one person, no. It still doesn't even work with two people because of how fast they would have to do it. I understand Billy's probably strong, Stu's tall, but I don't... Look, they're super efficient. <laughs> supernatural. <laughs> They're very efficient killers. Not supernatural. They're very efficient. All right, yeah. Of course, for the visual sake, Steve's guts had to come pouring out, so some bullshit had happened that probably was unrealistic. The bottom line is Drew Barrymore is gone. Ten minutes in, she's gone. And now we meet uh, Sydney Prescott, who our main character would go on to be one of our famous Scream Queens, played by Nev Campbell. Who's in every single Scream movie because the movies refuse to either let her go or refuse to kill her. Not knowing what happens in Scream 5, though, we don't know yet. But yeah. she's, she's still in it, though. No, what's going to happen is she's going to die, Dewey's going to be the villain, and Courtney Cox is the main character. I think you should have wrote the script. I, I, I bet you that scenario is going to be better than what we get, probably. All right. You even said yourself you'd walk out on that movie. All right. So getting, <laughs> getting back to I know it. Getting back to Scream... Billy, her boyfriend, shows up in her window. Now... That very same night, nonetheless. Yeah, now we have to look at this through the goggles of he just obviously is coming from killing Drew Barrymore. So now this is this is kind of brilliant because when you're first watching, you're just like, oh, this is a, a get-to-know-you scene between the boyfriend and the girlfriend. Really, he's trying to get an alibi by showing up at her house because he's got to be able to say, hey, I was doing this last night. A.K.A. getting flashed by his girlfriend. Because that's what she calls PG-13. There's one thing also, again, brilliant that I didn't pick up on, but this is the first time I noticed this, but the father basically is there, and the father's telling her that he's going out of town, right? There's another reason why Billy's there at her house. So... To steal his clothes. No, to steal the father. 
Why would he steal the father? The father doesn't like him. Yeah, but check it out. When the father shows up at the end again, from he's the closet, beaten, right? He's beaten, bloodied. He's supposed to be the out, the killer, technically, of the anniversary of his wife's death. Yeah, but the key thing is, when he falls out the closet at the end, he's wearing the same clothes that he has on right here in this opening thing where he's talking to Sydney. That means they kidnapped him on this night while he's in those clothes. So Billy's talking on the window, and Stu's probably at the front of the house beating up the father and, and kidnapping him. So their, their two objectives this night was to kill Drew Barrymore and to kidnap Sidney's father. So how about we go to the next day, and then we get to meet the rest of the cast, which is Stu, Randy, Tatum, and Dewey. I feel like David Arquette is too young to be playing Deputy Dewey. <laughs> like, I don't think this is the right choice, but... Especially since, isn't Courtney Cox, like, what, five, six years older than him? Yeah, and then they actually got married in real life based on them meeting this movie. Oh, seriously? In real, they actually got married in real life? You didn't know they were a thing? No. They were married for like 20 years. Oh, Throughout shit. Throughout the entire trilogy, they were married. And the so last, he tried to be the killer? At the last second, they were like, okay, well, you're too old to play the high school kid. Well, you do you want to be the deputy? I think he's too young to be the deputy. I think he's too, yeah, I think he's too young to be the cop, but he's too old to be the high school dude. He's in that weird in-between where I don't buy him as a cop, and I don't buy him as the high school kid either, so... Well, as a deputy in a small town, actually, it would make sense. I know, but his behavior is just so, like... Would Immature. You, would you want your life in that guy's hands? No. <laughs> the dude walking around with a, still, with a damn ice cream cone? But that's still pretty much the point. Yeah, I guess... I wonder if they wrote that more into his character afterwards. Um, okay, so... Um, I gotta say, one thing I like about the movie is that instantly... Whether I know that the killers are not, instantly I like the characters. All the teen characters are good actors. They all have enough time to where you actually know their personalities a little bit. Uh, Tatum is the the uh, sassy best friend. Mm-hmm. Randy's like the movie geek. Stu's just weird. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, actually, the guy who plays Stu played uh, Shaggy in the live-action Scooby-Doo movies. Matthew Lillard, yeah. yeah. He's a genre dude. He's, uh, he's in 13 Ghosts. And, Fuck uh, that movie. But he's, he's, he's pretty well into the horror genre. Right? So, you know, I like all the characters. When they're talking on the bench there, this bench scene, you can kind of now, looking back at it, there's some signs in that scene that Billy we're, and Stu are the killers. Yeah, where Stu almost gives them away and Billy's just Billy looks at him that looks like, dude, shut the fuck up. Billy says to him, he says, he's like, yeah, but he gives that look and he says, because someone's still like, this is accusing Stu. Stu's like, I didn't kill nobody. And Billy's like, nobody said you did. And he's telling him basically, he's like, stop incriminating yourself, asshole. Yeah, right. I, I think the relationship basically is, I think Billy's like the whole time worried that this asshole is going to ruin the whole thing because he's got a big mouth and he's stupid. Well, how about we go to uh, Ghostface attacking Sydney? Yeah, now. Which, which, be honest, to me makes no sense. Why would they attack Sydney before their endgame? What if they, what if, say, because I'm going to assume it was Stu this time, not. Billy, to be honest with you. Even though Billy's the one at the house with the cell phone, I'm thinking Billy's the one doing the calling, but Stu is actually doing the attacking. It, it's, it's, it's the same setup. They're both there. One's doing the physical, one's on the phone. But what, ha- what would happen to their end game itself if Stu actually managed to kill Sydney? Because I don't... I, so, do yeah. they not plan this far ahead at this point? I, or do they actually legitimately wanted to kill her early on? No, no. So their whole end game is they want to blame the father which is going to be on the one-year anniversary of what happened to her mother the year before, right? Which would mean that they could not kill her right away. Otherwise, this, it would kind of ruin their... This whole setup 
is to scare her, even though he does actually attack her. Yes. So it's it's really weird because Stu was gunning for. <laughs> Stu was gunning for, but I don't know what I don't know what the plan is or what. So basically, what I didn't understand is that Stu. Okay, she comes home from school, right? And she walks into the room, and she you hear a noise in the closet, and then she looks in the closet briefly and then closes it. So if we theorize, basically, she goes and takes a nap on the couch, right? For like a half an hour, she takes a nap. I would say about an hour, because notice how it goes from daylight to dark. Right. So uh, people online theorize, okay, while she's sleeping, Ghostface comes in and goes in the closet. But a whole other section says, well, no. When she first came home from school, she heard a noise in the closet. They think Stu's, even before she takes the nap, Stu's already, or Ghostface is already in the closet. Even though she opens the closet, she doesn't do like a big look into it. She just well, no, kinda... she doesn't. But didn't we get like a kind of a down look at a pair of boots? Interesting. I don't know. I can't remember. You're thinking the bathroom. Okay, yeah. No, I'm pretty sure it was the closet scene where you know it shows up. She doesn't do anything, and then it looks down. And it looks like there's a pair of boots on the ground. I'll, so unless that's her father's boots, <laughs> it could be her father's boots. But I'll have to look back on that because yeah, I think probably makes sense that. Stu got to her house before she did when she got from school, and he's already in the closet. So he's in the closet. I think Billy calls her, and Billy is outside somewhere probably because obviously— He's the one who got caught. Yeah. Now, the motivation, you're right. I don't know. He, he attacks her, but he's, it doesn't make any sense that he would actually kill her. So this is a little bit even though, out of place. Even though, like I said, it looks like Stu is 100% try. I've noticed something. You can definitely, another thing, reason you can tell which person's doing which kill is, uh, I'm going to, is to me, one of them doesn't even get a scratch on him when he actually does the killing. The other one gets his ass kicked. So, so Stu is a goofy-ass killer. And gets his ass kicked. But... That said, though, I'll say this, though. One thing that you can actually differentiate them in a big way also. They have a different... They both have a different stabbing style. So this is something, again, that online they pointed out was that one sometimes Ghostface... So one of the Ghostfaces winds up with one hand in a big stabbing motion with one hand, right? But you see the certain scenes where Ghostface pulls up his knife with two hands and he has a two-hand stabbing motion. Mm. So online, the theory is that the two-hand motion is stew and Billy's the one hand. So when you see him, like, there's certain kills that's two-hand stabbing, and there's certain kills where it's just one hand. And apparently, Wes, because they had a lot of time to film this movie, Wes really took the time to actually add the detail in each scene of, like, we want you to be able to figure out, like, which one is the killer or something like that. So right. this, is why, this is why this is, like, a really great directing job by Wes Craven, because he put all the details in there. So this guy, when he, when he attacks Sydney here, he comes up with the big two-hand motion when he's about to stab her, so that means that's Stu. And, of course, also, he's slopping, getting his ass kicked, which is also Stu. Well, then there may be a slight issue because uh, I know it's kind of jumping the gun, but with Tatum's death, notice whoa, how whoa, when whoa. Ghostface runs at her, he uses just one hand. Yes, and I think that is Billy, but we'll get there. The one thing also, which was pointed out online, was that when Ghostface chases Cindy upstairs, you got to turn the volume up. I had to turn the volume up a lot. But you can actually hear Stu... Mm. grunting when he's running the stairs. Like, you, you have to turn the volume up and listen, basically, but you actually hear Stu's voice. I don't know if they put that in post-production like that, but you can hear Stu grunting as he's running after her. So it's clearly Stu running after her. Oh, by the way, though, she goes in the room, 
And she gets really lucky that her door... Her claws... Blocks off the door in some weird way where you can't get in. Right. And well, then she dials for... she. Wait, how does she call 911? She dials on the internet? Yeah. And they get there 30 seconds later. <laughs> like, because, they're, because they're just that awesome. So... Stu, we assume, retreats, runs out. When Billy, he realizes he can't get to her. Billy sees this, and he's climbing the, the, the thing to now... Um, Look like kind of a hero. But see, I don't know, Billy, was he trying to get caught here? It's so weird. Because, well, like, he lets the phone drop out of his pocket. Well, actually, it would make some form of sense, because he tells her at the, uh, after the next day that he, he didn't use a phone. He didn't call her at the police station. Yes. So when the next call was made, she auto automatically assumes that it's someone else now because Billy's in jail. Right. Which this, throws a this, suspicion off of him. This whole setup of, of Billy going to jail, I think maybe that was okay. So maybe that's the motivation of them attacking her, is they want Billy to be get caught by the cops and be the main suspect. That way, when he gets acquitted, he can. She's like convinced, like, oh, it can't be him because. Yeah, Ghostface called me while he was in jail. Otherwise, why does Billy show up there? He, he probably knows the cops are on the way, so he's mm -hmm. trying to get caught. It's weird. So maybe that was the whole purpose of them attacking her. Maybe it makes sense. Um, and now we officially get to meet Gail Weathers. She's not too likable. <laughs> she is not a likable protagonist at all. No, but she does get a nice little wallop to the face. Yeah, well, she deserved it. <laughs> writing I gotta, a, she's writing a book about... Uh, the guy that supposedly raped and killed uh, Sydney's mother. Yes. For now, since it's part one, let's just call him Cotton Weary, even though we'll find out differently later on. Even though Gail, even right now, is already she's already suspecting part one. She's like, she's like, Cotton wasn't the guy, was he? She already done figure this out in part one, even though it comes out later that it actually wasn't Cotton. No, you just find out that, uh, yeah, all three of these movies definitely make Sydney's mother, even though obviously what happens to her is not right but definitely paints Sydney's mother in a very negative light even though she's the victim yes because this movie does show that yes her mom has been cheating on her dad it was like it's like a like post death victim blaming like she got killed but now we're going back and trying to give like 50 reasons of why she deserved to die right and that's just let the woman rest in peace damn yeah. um like even if she was cheating on her husband that doesn't give anyone the right to kill the woman as we're about to find out the motivation. One thing I want to mention, too, is actually, so Wes, did a, Wes made a point to not let any of the actors meet Roger Jackson. Hmm. He didn't want any interaction. And the first time, and also what the, sometimes they'll dub in, dub in like thing, conversations later on, right? They actually had Roger Jackson call the characters. So when they're talking on the phone, not only are they really hearing that voice, it's the first time they've heard that voice. They don't know who it is, who's calling what. They never met him, nothing. So there's an authentic, the reactions are actually like, they're really hearing Ghostface talking to them, basically. It's a smart move by Wes, basically. It's like, all right, I thought that was really cool, because it's like, you kind of in your brain, you're like, oh, this is all fake. Like, they're not even talking on the phone. But he actually, he had Roger Jackson on a, a disclosed, hidden place on the set, like calling the actors to have the real conversation with them in the scene. So that was pretty now, interesting. Did Roger Jackson only play the voice, or did he actually play the physical killer itself? Because no. to be honest with you, the even though even if you can see in visual cues who's doing what, to be honest with you, Ghostface looks exactly the same body type wise. Yeah, Ghostface himself is just a stuntman. Okay. 
It's just a random guy. There's no. So they just had to make the stuntman change his the mannerisms to make sure it matches who's doing what. They kill. they they change the the way he stabbed, and they also certain scenes apparently like the one scene like they Ghost, added... Ghostface makes noises sometime, and I guess they had Stu and Billy go in post production and like put their voice there basically to where if you listen closely, like oh yeah, that's the Stu that groaned. Like later, like stuff later on, you can look back at basically. But no, Ghostface is a stuntman. Roger Jackson, I've never actually seen the physical person. I've only heard the voice. But he, he, he only showed up on set like in like hidden locations. Mm-hmm. His job would be like somewhere in a dark corner. Like, all right, action. He makes the phone call and actually delivers his dialogue. So, but that's a creepy ass voice. Um, so, yeah. Uh, one thing. I have a small issue with with some with his next newsreel is they're talking about the ghost face mask, saying this is the mask of the killer. And I'm sitting there like, well, Billy was just acquitted. That mask was only what may have been found near the crime scene, but it wasn't. But you did not find it on anybody, and you didn't find it at the first crime scene. True. So that is not a hundred percent identification that this is the mask to look out for. But. There's the easy... Th- so, yeah, actually, that's true. The only way you can collab- corroborate... Is that the word? Corroborate. Corroborate. Is basically Sydney has to say, that's the mask. Sydney has to say, that's what he was dressed up as. Which, to be honest... She's a never, witness. She can say that. Yeah, which, to be honest, we never heard her say. I don't remember. I mean, I it's mean, been over two weeks since I've seen the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie. It's not a... 10, ten episode series on Netflix where you have enough time to do everything. Oh, that's fair. But that's true. But actually, let's go back to the school where Henry Winkler dies. Even before that, the bathroom scene. Oh right. The bathroom scene is definitely Stu. I got a better idea about this. I don't think it's either killer. You think it's just one of those uh, two the two kids that's been running around with ghost face masks screaming? It, it's a prankster because look at what happened. If you think about what happens before then, she's actually talking to Stu in the hallway. He's with Tatum at the lockers. She walks from them down the hall and runs into Billy. And from there, she goes in the bathroom. There's no way either of them had any time to then go or even know to go plant themselves in the bathroom and wait for her. The other clue is that when he comes out the stall and attacks her, there's no knife in his hand. He's just like putting his hands up like a boogie boogie boo motion. So I think that is meant to be... Just some one of the two pranksters mess. that got um, expelled for that. Yeah. Now, actually, now one again, one brilliant detail. Again, I don't Henry know. This, no, no, I don't know if it's intentional, but again, if it is, it's just again amazing on rewatch. If you like research online, all the stuff they added in. When they when she's talking to Tatum and Stu at the lockers, um, Stu is looking in Tatum's mirror and he's checking his head for like any mark basically and that could easily be because in the two previous nights he both got hit in the head by this phone from Casey from Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. but then he also had this fight with Sydney uh, I think again where something happened where he got hit in the head oh he headbutted her so it's it's brilliant that, that scene when you look back later he's actually checking the mirror to see if there's a mark on his head like, I'm a bru- gonna assume, like a bruise I'm gonna assume that he most likely got a bruise from the uh, telephone but, but he, had, he, he mo- hit by the shit out of her uh, city too oh that too but most likely he's wearing makeup over it so he'd be checking to make sure that makeup's yeah. not wearing off but that's awesome when you look back the second time you're like oh yeah he is acting like and, he, and he's the one throwing this big ass party and inviting mm. everybody to this big ass party so 
Did yeah. You, so, do you think he planned to actually kill all those people, or did he just want to have a party before their end game started? Well, let's let's kind of kind of a good quick good question. We have to connect it to the the Henry Winkler death because uh, now fun fact. Who wants to kill Fonzie? Nobody does. In the original movie, he was not. This was not a death scene. Why did they just want to add it just because of the funny face he made with his death? Weinstein, watching the first copy of it, I guess, was like, hey, in the middle of the movie, there's a 30-minute section here where nobody dies. You got to go and add a kill. Because you think about the death scenes and the, the distance there, there's a good middle part here where there's no death scenes. But a lot of slashers do that. Good slashers do because they're developing the story. <laughs> Other slashers, they're like, oh, every 10 minutes, you got to have someone die. That's, that's where you get the whole introduce the character to kill them because they got to hit the surgeon kill count. So Weinstein was like, ah, you got to do something here. And like, shit, who can we kill? Ah, well, the principal. Now, this is definitely... Um, this is a funny death, in my opinion. This is weird because he, he just screams so oddly. He's like, ah! That's right, so funny. And yeah. when he dies, he's just sitting there staring like, what the fuck just happened to me? This did, wasn't in the script. Did you see where he saw the... You saw the Freddy Krueger in the hallway? Yeah. That was a good little... That was Wes Craven dressed as mm. Freddy Krueger. That was a good little nod, yep. too. But but again, this was this was definitely supernatural because someone knocks on the door. He opens the door so fast that it's not physically possible for someone to have disappeared. But they're gone. There's nobody in the hallway except Fred the janitor. Yeah, definitely Wes, uh, Henry Winkler was ready for a fight. And how the hell did Fred the janitor not see Ghostface? So then he closes the door and Ghostface is in the room? What the hell? But, okay, so but the... The logic added in was we hang his body from the field or like that. In the football field, we hang his body, and then that's going to have all the kids from the party leave to go check out the dead body. Right. That's a, that's a bold assumption that, hey, they'll all leave and go. Especially since all of them were drinking. You'd think there would be, like, one responsible guy that'd be like, I'm not driving. You can't do the whole ending if those kids don't leave the damn house. Unless you make it into a giant mass murder scene. Yeah, but they're two high school kids. Those kids together will beat their asses. I'm pretty sure All that one kid with a knife, I don't think they'd be bold enough to even walk into a room with like nine teenagers, some of them probably football players, and be like, all right, what's your favorite scary movie? I'm going to gut you all like a... F-. They would kick their asses. That's they had to get them all out. There's two scenes here that are dumb as shit. Uh, Dewey taking these girls to a party? No, before that. During the day, they're shopping at the grocery store. Oh, and motherfucking Ghostface is in the frozen food section. Hey, what's up? <laughs> He's in a reflection watching them. Hey, I'm just, I, don't mind me. I'm just getting. Uh, I'm just getting some beef. I need some red meat in my life. How? Put okay. You know how in the plan could it be that they're like, all right, and then you as Ghostface, you follow them <laughs> into the grocery store and you hang out in the frozen food section. Like, what the hell is See, this? It would kind of make sense if. Maybe they saw Ghostface, got scared, ran out, and then when talking to Randy, be like, "Well, uh, Billy was with me the whole time." Because Sydney still has her doubts that Billy may have been the killer still. Right. But you know, if that happened, you know, Stu instead of being at the movie movie group, being in the Ghostface, she sees him, runs out, event, and later on talks to Randy, and Randy says. Billy's been with over here this whole time. I don't think Randy would give Billy an alibi. He hates he, Billy's ass. That may be true, but he's not exactly the type of character to lie. 
I, I honestly think Randy at the video store has figured this shit out. Oh, he he's did. Like, he's like, Billy's the killer. He, he hasn't put, to, nobody can put together the fact that Stu is the accomplice. Because he wouldn't be leaking. Because Stu is smarter. He does still do something dumb, though. He's saying all this stuff to Stu about, he's asking him, like, you know, do you think Sydney will go out with me and all that stuff like that? From what I'm seeing in my brain, like, Stu is, like, best friends with Billy. And Randy knows this. Like, so why, why, are you, in why are you confiding in somebody who, like, I'm pretty sure that, like, we don't see it, but I think Stu and Billy came into the video store together as, like, friends. And then Billy went to the horror movie section, and Stu went to talk to Randy. But I think they came in together. I think we, have, we know because they're plotting all throughout the day. They got at certain points, connect together, and, like, all right, we're good. Yeah, this, that. I think they go in the video store together to both give them both an alibi, whatever, but... Where the, as you're bringing up the damn grocery store scene, just doesn't make damn sense. There's one possibility. Another prankster? It's the only thing that makes sense. <laughs> I gotta believe that Stuart Billy are not in the frozen food section as Ghostface with all this sh- And by the way, they're, they're with Dewey. I mean, Dewey's like around. Yeah, he's not He's not in the grocery store, but he's like, he's with them. Sort of. He, he went to get an ice cream cone. Yeah, he went to get a, a, a three scoops. But, nah, that's got to be a prankster. But then they show them at Sydney's house, and Ghostface is again in the woods. Do you remember this? Yes. Now, that's actually got to be Ghostface, Ghostface. That's actually Billy or Stu, like, trying to make sure they're still going to the party or some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the frozen food section, there's no way. And, then, and I think the grocery section also happens around the same time as the video store. Right. So they'd have to do that and then somehow both end up at the video store also. Yeah, so it's a fake, ju- it's a fake scare. Maybe they're in, within walking distance, but yeah. But I think, I think Randy figures it, out, figures it out at the video store, basically, this is the killer. And Stu is so close, in my opinion, so close to, like, giving it away. He's, like, so happy... With like Randy kind of figuring it out. Yeah, he so wants to be like, yeah, it's me. Like he wants to take ownership, but he's listening to it. And then the way Billy and Stu team up against Randy, it's pretty clear that yeah, something's kind of off here. Basically, if I was watching for the first time, I remember my sister-in-law watched it for the first time, and she got it that okay. She's like, okay, well, Billy's the main suspect, but he went to jail. She's like, it's it's too obvious, but I think Billy's Billy's still the killer. Uh, does your sister-in-law like horror movies? Not at all. She's going by what she's seeing, but she did not put together that. Nobody put together initially that there could be two killers, because that's just not usual. That's unusual for horror movies. There'd be two. And killers. also, no one's going to put together Stu being the second killer in the first place. Yeah. All right. Let's. We can get to. Uh, I guess get to the party now. Uh, do you want to talk about any part of the party, or do you want to talk about Tatum's death scene? A little bit about the party first. Okay. Two things. Why did Dewey bring the two girls most wanted by a killer there? Why did they go to the party? Period. Okay. Tatum is dating Stu. I don't know how. I don't know what. Well, because because Drew Barrymore because Drew Drew Barrymore dumped him, and then he went he went to her. I just want to I want to bring this up. Uh, So my wife, she's never seen this movie. This was her first time watching this whole movie. Okay. She told me, it's like, so I see on Facebook when people talk about this movie how uh, cute Matthew Lillard is. And she, you know what her reaction to that was? She gagged. She looks like, he looks like a frog. Wow. Well, <laughs> I was like, damn. Interesting, damn. She goes, and then she sees Tatum and sees that they're dating. She goes, okay, he must have a great personality because I don't fucking see it. <laughs> 
he's got that um that crazy i mean he's charismatic he's got that crazy in your face energy yeah but some can girls you see like some, that uh, tatum because tatum doesn't seem like the kind of girl that actually likes that kind of thing but i look how sassy she is herself though she may not want someone as sassy as her oh but she still smacks him around too like <laughs> she clearly runs a relationship um all right yeah okay so why they go to the party she should be in protective custody somewhere also, um, um, why did... Because I'm... The only reason I'm asking this one is because Gail shows up first before Dewey and them, so there's no way Gail would have known that Sydney was coming. So why didn't hell does Gail care about a random high school party? I think... I mean, there's no reason for having these instincts, but if you hear... If she heard, basically, like, say, everybody is going to be at this party... There's reason to believe that somebody might get killed. If she's maybe thinking from the killer perspective, a party's usually maybe something's gonna bad's gonna happen here because she puts the camera in the party, which so we she find suspects out has, some shit's gonna happen. Which we find out has what a thirty second delay on it. Yeah, unfortunately, which for her, definitely for her, comes back to bite the camera for her cameraman. Yeah, um, just a couple notes on the party. Yeah, we got probably at least 20, 30 people here. Stu's hosting. His parents are out of town. Dewey leaves the party to go off with Gail to investigate a strange car in the road or something. Okay, my question was, as the movie went on further and further, they never talk about, like, Sydney asking really, or, like, really, Sydney trying to find out where her father is. Like, do they ever actually say, like... They mentioned a couple of times that Sydney has tried calling him, but there's no answer. And that's pretty much a throwaway line. Shouldn't she be, like, really worried and really, like, Again, not going to a party for dad's missing. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, he's uh, he's technically on a business trip in her mind, but would the business trip really keep him from give from giving her a call if she's trying to call him? And also, by the way, they know the cops know that the phone call came from her His, dad's phone. Yeah, the cops believe it's the dad killing people at this point. Although they didn't appear to trace who called. Drew Barrymore at the beginning. They never mentioned that, which you think would be an easy, let's find who the, who the hell called her. Um, good for Randy, though, because her being at the party, you can actually talk to Sydney, and there's no Billy there yet, so good job. Uh, well, good for him. Maybe he's making, making headway there. Um, all right, Tatum's death. So this is probably the high point for me in this movie because Tatum just whoops this guy's ass. This setup is awesome because Stu asks her to go get a beer from the garage. So this is all set up basically because, and this is, we'll get to why I think Billy's the killer here. Well, here's a real question. Why would Stu want his girlfriend dead? What exactly did she do to be like, yeah, I don't think breaking up is the right choice, but killing sounds like the best option. I got to say, I don't know if this is Billy's idea, but this is a big sacrifice on Stu's part. Because he doesn't plan on getting caught, I don't think. Well, wait a minute. Let me think. They didn't plan on no, getting caught. He doesn't plan on being caught. So when this is all over, it'd be nice to have a hot girlfriend <laughs> supporting you, right? Right. So this is a big sacrifice. And from Billy's perspective, he's like, hey, if we kill her, then it makes Sydney feel like shit because her best friend's dead. But if I'm Stu, that's right to be like, hey, man, that's cool, but that's still my girlfriend. <laughs> right. Like, can we do this whole thing and just not kill her? 
Um, but I got to think Billy pushed for it because, I mean, Stu is crazy, yes, but, yeah, I mean. Why would he want to kill a girl that is into him? Because the whole reason we can surmise, he killed Drew Barrymore because she left him for Steve. So you killed your old girlfriend, but why are you then going to kill your new girlfriend, too? Maybe <laughs> so just, she didn't leave him. Or I don't know, but. Maybe Stu is gay. That is a theory that floats around, that Stu actually likes Billy in a more than friends and it may not be reciprocal it may not be reciprocal but maybe there's something going on there in Stu's mind because the man kills his ex-girlfriend and kills his new girlfriend and all he's left with is Billy <laughs> so maybe but the actual death itself you're right she kicks his ass she, she and she does a stupid I say this because um there's no way in this girl's right mind did she think she was going to fit through this fucking doggy door. No, that was a momentary lapse of judgment. It was stupid. Made no sense. She she knew at, she had no chance there. And it really, at this point, she had a chance. She just There's so many things in that damn garage she could have grabbed and started bashing this guy's face with. My question is also, when she, she tried it, how did, she, how did she get herself sto- so she got herself so stuck that she couldn't get herself out? The garage door rose slowly over the course of like forty-five seconds to a minute. Yeah, plenty of time for her to push herself out. She got herself so stuck she couldn't get out. Those damn boobs. I honestly, I would rather the killer kill me than me like going to my death, being like my dumb ass is about to get killed by the garage door. Like they're about to. Put this on YouTube in 20 years of like one of the dumbest deaths ever. I'd rather just the killer kill me. That's just like, you're right. She, she didn't, the killer didn't kill her. She killed herself. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because again, think about it. She had him on the ground when she ran for that door. And there's so many things, or if you look around the whole garage, there's so many things she could have used that she could have just picked up and started hitting him while he was down. Well, no, the other thing too is like, um, just get around him and get back in the house. Oh, yeah. Because after after she dies in the garage door, right, the killer simply opens the door and walks in the house. Now, that means the door wasn't locked. The killer didn't lock the door because he simply walked, opened the door and walked in the house. Yeah. So she could have just got around and went back in the house. You go back in the house, there's 20 people in there. You're safe. Yeah, because technically what happened, what started that was she did try to go out. Door was locked. She, go, she walks away, and then the killer walks in, which would have unlocked that door. There was one, also, one thing that rang false to me also. I don't think she did this, and it doesn't make sense to me. Okay. When she finds out she's really in trouble, right? I don't think she ever really screams loudly. And you know there's 20 people in the house there. I'm thinking back to it. She never gives a straight, somebody help me! One yell, even though they're drunk in the next room and watching a movie, before I die, I'm going to be, like, at least a trying to alert people. I don't think she ever really gives that big scream of, like, so the killer's risking a lot by killing somebody in the garage when there's 20 people in the house there. Yeah. So she didn't really all scream. All she does is kick his ass and then do a stupid. The uncut version, apparently, that death is more graphic, too. So. Well, I don't really... To be honest, the, gra- the deaths are graphic or pretty good and graphic throughout. I want to see her eyeballs fall out of her. But I just wanted to see... As you brought up, an attempt to get somebody else's attention other than... She's the Sarah Michelle Gellar from I Know You Last Summer of this movie where... She does a stupid. 
but most people like feel either they feel like she shouldn't have died, she should have been in the sequels, or they feel like if you could bring back one character from this movie, most people like her a lot. She's a very popular character. You could easily had her be knocked unconscious in the garage. But here's another question. Stu really does not give a shit about his missing girlfriend. No. He, he doesn't even say it to anybody throughout. I think even Sydney asked him, and he's like, I don't know. Like, so now, are you high right now, bud? Right. With her dead now, now Billy shows up. Which, no, but again, on, on the third viewing, when Billy walks in, he gives Stu a look, which to me is basically confirming, yeah, I killed her. It's, it's done. I killed her. Because well, he gives her a look like uh, he's, he gives almost like a um, sorry, bud, but it's here's a, <laughs> it's here, very here, interesting. Here's another question. So we're at the part where everyone hears about the principal's death and they leave. Are you telling me out of all of that, nobody needed to go around to their car that would probably be parked by the garage and see the dead body hanging there? As you notice later on, they never moved that body. They never moved the body. They so, I guess no one gives two shits about a dead hot girl? They just want to see the dead principal? When they got the phone call of the dead principal, <laughs> their minds were consumed with seeing... I guess this was the most hated principal since Ferris Bueller's Day Off, because I mean, he did they all just, wanted to get the hell out of there. I mean, he did just expel two people for a prank, which, yeah, at and the, the time... Those, those two were at the party, weren't they? Yeah. Ah. I mean, and sure, at the time, it was a tasteless joke, but come on, expelling them for a joke? It's not like they had an actual weapon. They didn't have any weapon. By the way, again, this supports the idea that this had to be the pranksters at the grocery store. Like, how busy were Billy and Stu? They had to kill the principal, go hang his body up in the field, get to the video store, to the grocery store, to Sydney's house. Stu has to come back and plan his party out. They were some busy bees during this day. Oh, but here we get the most important part in this whole movie, horror movie rules. Well, yes, and I got to give the, I got to give credit to this movie. Some of these rules make sense. I don't think drinking <laughs> kills people in horror movies. I maybe drugs, but I don't I don't know if drinking is necessarily a sin in horror movies because that's way too common. That means everybody well, and every yeah, horror movie everybody dies. Um, but, uh, the yeah. have, have sex and die thing, that's a known trope. So. Which Sydney does in this, but... That's why it's brilliant. They, 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 over, uh, they cut that with the rules, basically. So they're like, oh, shit. Well, she's breaking the rule right now, so... Yep, well, now we get our final girl, Sir... I guess cameraman dies first. Then we get our final girl, Sir... No, cameraman dies during the final girl, circuit. Yeah, what about Billy dying, though? Yeah, fuck him. He gets stabbed by Ghostface. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. If you even mentioned... You saw it yourself. <laughs> There's no tear in his shirt. Yeah, I saw it, and the audience saw it. How come Sydney couldn't see it? He turns around and shows, hey, no tear in my shirt. I don't know. All right, so yeah, so now we have Ghostface. This, uh, this whole party scene, this whole ending, took 21 days for them to film this whole scene. Well, it's a pretty... It, it's one of the most epic end of horror movies ever. If you think about everything that happens and then how epic and long this damn chase scene is... Yeah, but this chase scene, at least, unlike like some of the Friday the 13th ones, this one actually was interesting because it changed its environment multiple times to give either the killer an obstacle or give Sydney an obstacle. How the hell did killer get through? Him and Sydney both in the back of the news van, they got the little doggy door, which is similar to the garage which, door. Why the fuck was there a doggy door in the garage in the news van? I don't know, but... 
I understand when Sydney's getting out of it, right? The killer, why is he climbing out of it? <laughs> Just get your ass out the damn normal door. Because he, I'm... He's fodder. It's funny. He hits the thing down. He's like frustrated. He's like, shit. Because <laughs> it's Stu at that point. He's, we've already established he's fucking insane. If Stu was the only killer, this movie would end after 10 minutes. I don't think he's capable of doing anything correct Well, no, himself. because Stu apparently has super speed, super strength. No, Billy probably has the super strength. But... No, them together have it, but Stu by himself is has a damn, damn super speed. Damn screw up. He can't even catch he can't even catch Sydney here. Yeah, because it's the final girl circuit, but at the beginning he runs right across, slits a guy's stomach and runs right off in 2 seconds. By the way, the cameraman on top of the news van? <laughs> that had to take both of them. Not one of them is capable of putting up the cameraman on the top of the news van. I'm telling you, Stu. That's a two-man job. Billy has super strength. Well, it can't be Billy. He's still up the stairs. I think, actually, though, I honestly do think, if you think about how things have shaken out, I think in between all this stuff, I do think Billy comes down, gets I, in the ghost space character, because think about who kills Dewey. So while all this is going on, City's getting chased, Dewey goes in the house... And comes out with a knife in his back. That, I'm pretty sure Billy stabbed Dewey. Yeah, that one have, would have to be. Because Stu was still but out he there. Did, but Billy still didn't even need to be in the Ghostface outfit because damn Dewey dropped down. And right. And he was unconscious. But then Ghostface walks out the house and chases Sydney mm. to the car. Uh, now, uh, that to me is Billy. Later on, they reveal that. You remember Gail crashed her van, right? Right. They reveal that Stu went and checked on her. He went and checked to see if she was alive, and he thought she was dead. So while he's doing that, I'm assuming he's doing that. This is when Billy is chasing her to the car, doing all that stuff. And then also, in all this, Randy runs into Stu. Because when him and Stu come both, they both come running. They're both pointing at each other like, he's the killer, he's the killer. And Sydney goes, fuck you both. Which is the smart thing. I mean, <laughs> that's that's a, a smart final goal moment, because she could be like, ah, she just said, fuck you both. Perfect. Nope. Instead, uh, this is when... Billy comes downstairs. If you didn't know Billy was the killer, as soon as Billy comes back down, you got to be like, ah, shit, he's the killer. Let's stew in and then shoots Randy stupidly in the shoulder. I don't understand this because... Why the shoulder? Why not kill him? Yeah. Right. Shoot him in the shoulder. He's rolling around the ground. I think Randy smartly decides that at some point, I got to play dead. So Randy just acts like he's unconscious. He didn't even roll roll around. He literally just dropped down and did not move. He's smart because like, okay... They're not gonna. They're gonna forget about me <laughs> if I play dead. I'm dead. But something tells me. I mean, granted, the shock from the actual pain of the bullet could have knocked him out. So he I, could- I, I literally think because you think about it now, the next 15 minutes goes by. I literally think he's playing dead the entire time. He's like, if I make one sound, I make one move, they're gonna come back and put a bullet in my head. Right. Because at this point, he's like, I cannot. One, he can't take both of them all at the same time. And two, they got a gun now. By the time they're giving. Um, Sydney the lecture and giving all their motives. I legitimately think they've forgotten about Randy. They've moved on and they're talking about Sydney and I think they've literally have forgotten about Randy's body over there. And well, so Randy, also... Randy's like, I'm gonna wait till the cops come and then magically, oh, I'm still alive. But I think they forgot about him. Well, they definitely forgot about Gail because she's the one with the gun now. She is. And by the way, when Dewey comes out, the mofo was dead. Now. The way it's filmed, he's dead. He falls over. The knife is, is in his back. So he doesn't pass out. He dies. So uh, Casey did mention, yes, you can survive that. And yes, that would be the result. You would be passing out from the pain. 
Because most likely, small town cop, Dewey's never felt pain before. Not like that. I even asked, is it possible he could have... For that long? Yeah. Okay. And it's also possible that, no, he would not be paralyzed. Because that was my first thought. Well, if he's not dead, he's paralyzed. Because, as you said, it's in the spine. She goes, not necessarily. It could have literally... Because we don't exactly see a close-up of exactly where the knife was. It's potential. It actually may have gotten close, but still missed the spinal cord in general. Oh, no, I'll buy that. I mean, certainly by, by part three... <laughs> He should be paralyzed because we'll, we'll see what happens in part two. But no, but actually in the script, though, in the actual script, that was Dewey's dead scene. He's dead there at the last second, at the very end. Wes, because he liked David Arquette a lot, he filmed this extra scene. He's like, ah, just in case, let's have him being rolled out. And if I want, I can add that into the end of the movie. And then when he's editing it, he's like, yeah, let's add him back in. But in the script as filmed, that's actually Dewey's death scene. And... The way it plays, it makes sense because, again, he just literally, he looks dead and he's passed out for at least a half an hour afterward. So, but anyways, back to the end where the, the killers talk way too damn much. Oh, my gosh. This de One, it definitely takes you out of the movie because, so yes, there's a villain monologue in every one of these movies when the killer talks, but do we really need this many horror movie references in one five-minute span? We don't. Literally, what was it? Very first thing when he shoots the kid, he says something, and he goes, "Yeah, I got that from American Psycho." It's like, seriously, bud. Yeah, I, mean, I know it's a parody, but you know the endings are supposed to be the more the most intense parts of the movies. Even yeah. scary movie had, a, yeah, it was still ridiculous, but still took itself well somewhere. Well, uh, slasher movies though tend to. When you get to the final girl, it does tend to always, it tends to always, the killer becomes stupid. It's not scary anymore. With slasher movies, the end usually is pretty lame in most cases. Now, I'll say this, though. It is funny when they start stabbing each other. We've never seen that before. And in fact, Billy definitely wants to try and kill Stu. Well, he throws the phone at him, but it was an accident. It was like a... An actual accident, and Matthew Litter just like reacted to it. And Wes thought it was funny, so he kept it in the movie. But he's like, "You hit me in the phone, dick!" But that's just all improv, which is hilarious. But it, but that wasn't meant to happen because he did actually. The phone hit him hard as shit in the back. Like if you actually watch it, it hit him hard as fuck. So um, one of the problems I have is just that Billy has a clear motive. Yeah, you can understand completely why Billy did this. Yeah, you find out that Billy's dad was sleeping with Sydney's mom, and that's what broke up his family. So he has a perfect motivation. Stu doesn't really have any motivation. His motivation was peer pressure. Peer pressure. But my goodness, though. I mean, I, again, it's hilarious, but I love the line of, my parents are going to be so mad at me. I love it. It's hilarious. Did you really call the cops? You damn right I did. But this dude's uh, getting back to the reality of like, oh, shit. Like, what did I do? What did I do? And that's why I think a lot of this stuff was mostly Billy doing most of the stuff I feel like. And then Billy gets stabbed and I guess passes out from that pain. Where Then Stu, I guess with adrenaline, even though he lost so much fucking blood, straight out pulverizes Sydney through a damn door or table. Again, two, Im two improv lines apparently are when he's like, uh, when he says, I always had a thing for you, Sid. And she's like, in your dreams. Apparently, that both actors, they just improv those lines. Well, at least with Stu, that kind of does add a little bit more creepy to the character himself. Because 
What oh, is that a thing, that, boy, I said? What has he really done that was creepy throughout this movie? No, Not really anything except for being him. Just Stu is creepy. He's so over the top. Yeah, so that line actually kind of adds something to the character. I was like, yes. That was actually a pretty badass line. I like it. So she drops TV on his face, which just means he'll be in the hospital for a few weeks. But I think I think all Stu will I'm make it. I'm pretty sure he should have been fried. He should have been fried worse than Kentucky Fried Chicken. Depends if it was a plasma or... It definitely was a tube TV. <laughs> yeah, it was a tube TV. One of those thick-ass 1990s tube TVs. And then we get Sydney versus uh, Billy, which really didn't amount to too much because then that's when you find out Gail's the one who grabbed, who snuck the gun away. Yep. You'd and think, though, also, Billy would just be thinking to himself because uh, throughout this fight, if you look on the ground, Randy's gone. Randy had snuck out. Yeah. Throughout all this commotion, I'm sitting there like, you'd think Billy would be wondering, hey, where did this body go? I'm telling you, man, they, Randy only lived because they forgot about his ass. Because they, he shot him, and it's like he was, they're so eager to now Get to deal with Sydney and explain their motivations. There's n- no logical reason for them to leave that loose end. And then I think Randy plays dead, but I think when they're all in the kitchen, Randy's like, fuck this shit. He doesn't leave the house, but he goes, he, he, Crawls somewhere. Maybe he grabs the gun, goes outside because he's he probably doesn't want to doesn't want to use it. Notice how he never touches the gun that we see, and then gives it to Gail. The thing is though, at the end though, at the very end, I do think Sydney comes over and picks him up though. So he he mm. got he, like he got himself back on the ground somewhere around there. Okay, never mind. Then I could be wrong. Yeah, I he, just he's still there. But I, I see what you're saying when they're when they're running through the hallway and stuff. It doesn't seem like he's still laying there in the middle of the hallway. So It could just be a continuity error at that point, then. I, I think it makes sense that he would crawl the, into a different fucking room, because like I said, he's, he's reinforcing like they forgot about me. Um, but, yeah. yeah, so basically, uh, Billy dies, if not by the initial shot, but then... The shot in the head. And he shoots in the head, because, as Randy says, it's the part where the killer always comes back. For the final scare. And then Sydney shoots him in the head and goes... Not in my movie. I was like, bitch, he did do his final scare. Not that, but Randy should have added in, hey, if he doesn't come back, his mom might come for you, though. That would have been very helpful for Scream, too, Randy. Just saying. And that's actually true if you look at the whole, well, J- the whole Jason died. Let's not, uh, because Scream 2 is not as well known as this one. Oh, come yeah, on. Yeah, it is. Come okay. on. Whatever. Hey, I think more people, when they go to buy the Blu-ray, probably do have, because they sell the trilogy as yeah. the Blu-ray. I, I tried I, to buy it all in the four pack, but it was not available. So I had to buy the three and then the four by itself. And now you'll eventually have to buy the five pack. Uh, if the, fi- I still if the fifth one's good. I haven't even gotten Halloween 2018. If Scream fu- I, I, I got it because I, I have the Halloween collection, so I had to have it for the collection. I mean, to be fair. I wait till it was on sale, though, at least. To be fair, I was not going to get Scream 4. I would have just stuck with one and two until you were like, hey, let's do all the Scream movies. In a couple weeks, we'll be able to give Scream 3 a second chance, Scream 4 a second chance. They've gone revisiting. Maybe they've, I will, I maybe remember, they've aged well. Because so. I haven't seen Scream 3 in, since it came out. But so. I do remember, Scream 4 is definitely better than Scream 3. Yes. <laughs> well, well yeah, I don't wanna get, we want to save our thoughts for those. Yeah, so let's point. go ahead and get into our categories. Because Cat- I haven't written these down either. Well, the, the best scene is going to be the opening scene, I think, for me. I mean... Yeah, maybe so, you may actually, because you had mentioned earlier, you maybe have a different idea. 
So my best scene is really it is a tie, but it's to be honest, I would have to give it to the opening scene as well. Has even because it has the most tension in it. It has pretty much your definite setup that something's going on gives you what your killer is going to be throughout the whole movie, and it's definitely a and it's longer and more satisfying than Tatum's death scene. Yeah, it's a solid 10 to 15 minute opening scene. Yeah, so I'm giving so I will also give the best scene to that opening scene. I just never um like okay, after Scream all this stuff became common to be meta and characters being self-referential and referencing horror movies. But in 1996, you had never seen in a horror movie really characters referencing other horror movies. So Drew Barrymore Drew Barrymore talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street series in 1996, she's like, holy shit, the audience is like, she's in a world where she rented those movies. And to be honest... It's pretty original. To be honest, it's fine, but... And I understand it. Now, now, it's, over, now it's overdone. I'm saying back then, Well, even, even this movie was overdone. I literally got tired of the references. They kept, every single line is a different reference. Like, God damn it. But, I want to know about this movie. But I'm telling you, one of the reasons that got boring for you is because it's been done so much since then. But if you were in the theater in 1996 and you had just only had Friday 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, where there was never anything self-referential, it was refreshing back then. It's just the problem is now the, the word meta and all that stuff is just... Uh... By the way, this opening scene, apparently I read this fun fact one time where it was like, in 95, before this movie came out, like, caller ID was like in 12% of households, but then a year after this movie came out, it was in 80% of households. This movie basically spawned everybody getting caller ID because you got to see who the fuck is calling you. When that oh, yeah. Is, so. so, okay, what's your worst scene? Because to be honest... Oh, easy. I was going to say... Print, the principal getting killed. Really? Yeah. To be honest with you, for me, it was the damn kitchen scene where they were going over their whole plan. Oh, okay, so... Mainly be not mainly if, if you can, if you can separate that from the rest of the ending. I li- I like the ending overall, but when they're in the kitchen talking so much, it's like if we can separate not say the whole entire ending, but just say that five minute period. There's like a piece of shit. The five minutes where he's, they're going into such details and talking so much shit, basically that we did not need that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the, but, okay. the, but, but the principal scene feels like to me that it, it was wasn't in the original movie. Well, and as you mentioned, it wasn't. That's why I'm honestly going to give it a break. And also mainly because we get Wes Craven as Freddy Krueger. Damn it, that's true. Um, <laughs> and to be honest with okay, you... Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the kitchen scene also. Then. And to be honest with you, I cannot get over how much Henry Winkler's face when he dies just <laughs> makes me laugh so fucking hard. He's a, he's, a, <laughs> he's a comedy actor. He's a weird casting choice for this role in this movie. Well, I mean, as he's the fun. So, as you brought up, if he didn't die, it'd probably be perfect for him. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice cameo, but when he's dying, it's just like it's all—it's pretty random. But okay. And okay, uh, so best performance. This is actually tough. Eh, for me, it's not. I'm giving it to Nev Campbell. Yeah, I think I think overall, I think she's probably. This performance probably is like in the top five final girl performances ever because she goes through a lot of shit mm-hmm. and you can see in her face. You can see throughout the opening because when you first see her, she's got a, a ponytail. She looks so innocent. 
Yeah, as the movie progressive, progresses, it honestly looks like she ages a little bit. You can see where her uh, face is actually getting harder, more done with this shit, in yeah. a sense. I'll, I'll give a shout-out to Skeet Ulrich, who plays Billy, because if I'm thinking about the character, if you're West and you're talking and reading the script, you're like, okay, so I'm playing a character who I am the killer, and I want to be obvious as the killer, but also I want to throw the audience off and make them think I'm not the killer, even though I am the killer. So I'm like the obvious boyfriend killer, but we're going to go down a route where I'm not the killer, but then I am the killer. He does a good job with that confusion in his brain of, like, how do I play this scene? Because, yeah, I, you believe, like, at a certain you believe he is the killer, and then you're like, nah, it's too obvious he's not the killer. But then you're like, oh, shit, he is the killer. i, I got to give a shout-out to him, too. So Matt, I, don't, I don't, as much as, as, much as, we, as we've talked about him, I don't mind Matthew Litter being so over the top. <laughs> it gives it more rewatchability. You can watch it over and over again because of how over the top it is. Honestly, I... I won't lie. I kind of wonder what would it be like if he was the only killer. Oh, man. Jesus. Think about how insane some of these scenes would have actually been. It would have been him getting his ass kicked in every scene. <laughs> he had been jump, falling all over the place, dropping the knife. Yeah, but then when he finally gets that kill, it would be fucking amazing. Yeah, after like a, yeah, everything would be like a 12-minute struggle. <laughs> it's like, just stay down. <laughs> I think all the vicious moments are Billy. <laughs> I don't think Stu does anything noteworthy in the movie, honestly, as the killer. He attacks Sydney. Yeah, he, even if he was trying to kill her, she still got away from him. You had her on the ground, and you still have a scenario where she's upstairs. And you, so even he maybe out. when he brought up the knife to stab her, he remembered, oh shit, I'm not supposed to kill her yet. I think that's why he took so long. He waited until she could fight him off. So I don't know. So okay, uh, worst performance. This one's kind of hard because I wouldn't give it to anybody, to be honest with you. Maybe Sydney's father. <laughs> because he's only in like two seconds. It's only one scene, but he doesn't seem like her father. <laughs> because don't we know. don't see them interact except for that one scene. Hell, the Wait, no, no. There's an easy answer here. <laughs> Henry Winkler. <laughs> this principal, when he gets oh killed. I, I mean, look, I know maybe he's just being over the top, but if, there, if you had to give it to somebody, you got to give it to Henry Winkler. <laughs> no, like I said, when it comes to... When it comes to the father, uh, I'm going to say this, and it's blasphemy. The father in Scary Movie was more uh, believable as the father that, than the father in this one. That goofy-ass guy? Yeah, remember he even asked, like, oh, were there any girls? Oh, sorry, Daddy, they're all dead. All right, all right. Let's get to, I guess, was there a um, was there the, the thing of, like, something that we would want to uh, What to explore upon? more. Um, it's tricky. This movie's pretty... It's pretty tightly woven where, like, each scene has a purpose of the plot. Um, so, yeah, because and since we know we're going to review the entire series, there's no point in stating uh, Sydney's mother's backstory. Yeah, you can... Because we we're going to get that. Right. On the surface, if just taking... So just taking this by itself, you'd want to get more details on her, Cotton Weary, that whole thing. Yeah. But knowing what we know about the sequels, we know that that's going to be... If this was, like, self-contained, then we could say, okay, give us more back on that, but... So I'll still say that, even though we'll find out more in the um, Yeah, to be honest, I'm not going to say any of anything because, as you brought up, tightly woven story for what we need. Yeah. And there was nothing really left to chant. Well, yeah, there's really nothing left to, uh, to ask. No yeah. real questions to ask. Agreed. Okay, uh, 
And what would you have changed? Me and you both said Tatum's death changed it to her not dying. Whether she leaves the house or gets knocked unconscious somehow. Unless you had something different to change besides Henry Winkler as the principal. Ultimately, I'm okay with her dying, but give her a better death. The death scene itself, like I said, everything leading up to it is great, but she's probably the smartest character we've seen in the movie so far next to Randy, and she tries to get out the little doggy door in the garage. Yeah. I mean, even she was like, I can't believe I'm dying about this dumb sh- this this dumb fucking way. So. And so as a final hoorah for me, this movie definitely has some great characters to follow. Definitely has a nice little mystery, and if you picked up on the clues, the mystery makes a lot more sense than say Friday the Thirteenth with Mrs. Voorhees. It. it oh, that it, yeah. Well, that. Friday was a, a damn who done it where there was no freaking way to guess who exactly. the was, right? So the only problem I have with it is a few logical leaps you have to take in order to understand that these two were the killers. And so the death scenes were definitely fun to watch. It was nice and gory. I would definitely like you said that the new collector's edition is going to have like 45 seconds of just straight gore added to it. So overall... I'm going to say I'm going to give this movie a three. It's definitely fun to watch. And almost anybody, whether you're into comedy or horror, can get a kick out of this movie. Yeah, I echo everything what you said. I think that I'm going to go slightly higher. I do. I do. I, I want to be fair. I, I do give. I've given probably three or four movies. I've given three and a half stars. And I feel like this is kind of in those ca- in the category of those movies I've given three and a half stars. Most of the problems I have are like minor flaws; they're not like huge flaws. The thing, the reason why I, I think the first time you watch it is three stars. I think the reason I go three and a half is because these things I learned upon this watching, the little things that on a second watch, that you can watch Billy and watch do and be like, oh yeah, this makes sense, that makes sense, and there's so much to theorize afterwards. Is why I think. The rewatchability makes it three and a half stars for me because you can watch this movie and like pick up things you didn't pick up on the first time. So for that reason, I'm gonna go with three and a half stars. And also, just I think I'm for me, slashers are my favorite movies, horror wise. So that's my favorite subgenre for horror. And I think this is probably one of the better slashers of all time. So I'm gonna go with three and a half stars. On that note, you know, if someone calls you, sound like Ghostface, ask him what your favorite scary movie is. And if he doesn't say Troll Two. Just hang up the phone. He's not worth your time talking to. If he says Troll 2, definitely hang up the phone because he's just as fucking insane as Matthew Lillard. Oh, that's a high bar to clear, too. So, Anyway, everyone, as usual, you don't have to go home, but uh, check out the rest of our episodes. You have a good night now. And we'll be back next week with Scream 2. So look for that as we embark on the next four episodes. will be the entire Scream series. And so also, search on YouTube, Let's Watch a B-Movie. No spaces, just Let's Watch a B-Movie will be the first thing that comes up. Subscribe to us. We got some exciting stuff coming up, some new videos, some video, some on-screen reviews coming very soon. And that's all we have for you this week. Later, people. Good night.